episode two of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. If it just so happens that you found this show inside your BibleStudy.net podcast feed, that's because we are cross-posting the first few episodes of the new show to the old feed just to let you know. So if that's the case, please head over to BiblicallySpeaking.fm to learn more or search for Biblically Speaking in iTunes and subscribe to us there. Enjoy the show. So last time we left off, we talked about inspiration of the Bible, right? We were going to discuss preservation the next time, and I think we should do that. However, in the meantime, I've come across a bit of a conundrum to me. I have a question. And I was hoping you could help me out with it. Um, it has to do with Abraham and Keturah. So, All right, Abraham and Keturah. Yeah, so in Genesis 25, it says, again, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Median and Ishbak and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashuram and Latushim. And Leumim, the sons of Midian, Ephur, Ephah, Hanok, and Abida, and Elda, all these were the children of Keturah. Six boys, isn't it? Or yeah, seven? six, boys, six I, boys, I believe. And I actually came across this because I've been looking What's at... What's Abraham here, like 145 years old? Now that's one of my questions. Well, I think that's he's in that range. Yeah. And I want to say first, that's pretty virile, isn't it? I mean, yeah, six boys. Yeah, but think about Abraham. I know. He's still begetting at 140 years old? or Yeah, because so? Sarah died when she was 127, yeah, right? Yeah. And he was about 10 years older than her, He's right? 10 years older. So He's 137. Right. Okay, you know, 137, 145, you know, it really doesn't matter much. Yeah. But the point is, look at this guy. I yeah. mean, amazing. And actually, I think this part of Abraham's life is often just not even, I mean, I know personally, I often don't even consider it. You always think of, Sarah and Hagar, right? Yes. And you think of Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah. And then that's kind of Abraham's story. Well, no, but there's Keturah and there's these boys. Yeah. And then these boys are not going to be mixing with, with uh, Isaac. Right, which as it goes on, it says, He gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts. See, now, uh, people, people, by the way, they don't understand how that works economically. You're, the reason I'm actively, uh, I have active angles here. I don't know if I'm answering your question. Well, I haven't asked my question yet. Okay. But, but I think just, we're going to end up on it. Just to give some setting to you, I've yeah. been teaching the book of Genesis to the kids on Wednesdays, you know. Mm-hmm. For what has it been, seven years now? I've taught uh-huh. the kids. I, will, I have Lila, I have your oldest in there. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to having Wes in. Yeah, in August. Yeah, because Wes is going to be, you know, people, you know, Wes is Wes. Wes overwhelms everyone. Now he, <laughs> well, he overwhelms me. Yeah, sure. he's he's a real challenge. But I see with that, you know, with your with your boy there, I see a, a spiritual sense about him that's pretty unusual. So I think he's going to really like my class. But we've been talking about the life of Abraham for quite some time, over a year. Yeah. Through through this study, we... I try to talk in concrete. You know, people think of Abraham that he's a character. Mm-hmm. The kids live such fictional lives anyway with all the movies and stuff. you got to right. be careful. Everything's a story. Yeah, that the Bible's not a fiction to them. Yeah. And uh, this is one reason why I don't really want to present any Bible to kids in video. 
form or yeah. reenactments or things like that. If you study the Bible deeply, you know that to to really reenact insightfully what the Bible is, is it's going to take way too much time and effort than people put into it. Uh-huh. The History Channel recently had this by the Bible thing. I don't want to yeah, take Yeah, it's quite popular. So popular and so bad. You know, I just looked at one little piece of that of that thing. Uh, maybe sometime I'll, I'll watch the thing and, you know, put a critique out on the Internet so people can be warned. But I got things wrong that there's just no excuse for. Like what? Well, uh, one of the great scenes in the Bible is one of the great men of the Bible, Nathan, confronts David about his sin in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Mm-hmm. And the way he does it is he gives a story to David about a man and a ewe lamb, and you know the rich man took the poor man's only ewe lamb. So, King, what do you think should be done about that guy? Right. And you know David's basically off with his head. Kill him. Yeah. And Nathan goes, "Thou, thou art the man. You're, the, you're that guy." Mm-hmm. Of course, David says, "I've sinned." And Nathan tells, him, "Well, the Lord's put away your sin." That's a great scene. You know, you can imagine if you're going to dramatize that. Yeah. You really could do a great job. The courage of Nathan. Courage of Nathan, the repentance of David. There's just a lot of stuff you could play. And that wasn't in the None of it. None of it. No. Here comes in 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 the History Channel thing, David's hanging out at his palatial home. He's out in his gardens. And Nathan comes up, and he's a... You know, nasty old looking guy. You know, they got him looking really, you know, haggard and ugly and, mm-hmm. you know, tired out. And he comes to David and he goes, Look, we know what you did. <laughs> it's like so pathetic. And David goes, Well, you know, and then God is going to make your life miserable for that the rest of your life. And David goes, Well, we'll see. That's it? That's the scene. We'll see if God. We'll see. Yeah. Got man after God's own heart. We'll see. Wow. So, you know, I... Yeah, I kind of missed the mark there, huh? Yeah, always going to miss the mark, I think, yeah. in drama. You know, if God wanted... God could have done video. Yeah. In fact, he warns us about video, doesn't he? Second commandment, the one the Catholics leave out. Idols. Graven images. Yeah. Yeah. Look, movies are graven images. They're even engraved in silver, the actual, you know, silver right. screen and all that, but... Uh, I won't go down that path. Yeah. Let me just say that the life of Abraham is not very well represented. People don't think deeply about it. Yeah. Because these these new brothers here, you know, these six guys. Right. They're not going to hang with Isaac. So no, they go hang with Ishmael, they're right? Gonna, well, who else can they hang? They're not going to hang with the Philistines. They aren't the Philistines. You know, these are not Amorites. These are These are not the people who are destined for destruction. These are the people who are destined for life. And I'm sure they learned that much. I mean, come on. Abraham is their father. So do you think this is part of the fulfillment of what it says to Ishmael that he'll live in the tents of his brethren, something along those lines? Or do you think that's more of a prophetic thing? Ishmael has promised to be twelve, uh, is to be great nation. Right. And he has his 12. Uh, his 12. Uh, you know what I'm referring to there? I think it's... Uh... Where, where God promises to Abraham about uh, Ishmael? Is that what you're talking about? Here, yeah, it's Genesis sixteen twelve. He'll be a wild man. Yeah, his wild monkey against, of a man, yeah. Yeah, his hand will be against every man, and every mm-hmm. man's hand against, against him. him. Mm-hmm. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Yeah. What, you, you mean, you, do I think that... I'm referring to Keturah's kids. The half-brothers? Yeah. Because they're half-brothers, right? Right. Because they're, a different sure, mom. why not? 
I mean, they are in this. They have to be in the same geography, right? To the East Country, yeah. it says there. But I mean, and we is... see the mixing of Midian and Ishmael right. further down. Oh yeah. So they're both, definitely uh, both uh, 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 racially through intermarriages, uh-huh. and but especially economically and even militarily, you'll see that that they, that they do. But uh, I don't know how it is that they get grow so distant, really, from Isaac. But they do. Yeah. They do grow. Well, Isaac and Ishmael ended up being on good terms, right? I mean, they bury their father together. Friendly, friendly as terms. It says down mm-hmm. here. Friend, so we call that good civil relationship, you know? Not a good brotherly relationship. Yeah. Can't be, have a brotherly relationship with Ishmael. He's a wild donkey of a man. Yeah. His hand's against everybody, and everybody's against him. He's just hard to get along with. But yeah, Isaac does get along Plus, you have the, you know, the law, the promise, that old deal. Can't. What people don't understand is, you know, when you're reading through the Bible, what people don't think about is that God gives the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and everything. Okay, so that's the way it's going to be. But they have to believe. You know, they have to believe and live the life of faith, and this is what we're supposed to look at. That yeah. th- Though their destiny is promised and assured and, you know, wonderful, and Isaac, really the most blessed man on the whole earth, he, he still has to live by faith, and that doesn't involve his relationships with these other people because they don't live by faith. They live by sight. I mean, the Ishmaelites are living by sight. If they see what you have and want it, then they come get it. These others will live that way too. So though these are blessed in Abraham and are promised, you know, success in material success in life, Mm -hmm. they're still not those of faith and that's what we're supposed to understand is that these are going to live they're maybe live together with each other and ha- but they're not going to live in faith and so they're going to create you know they're going to create the life that's not a faith and the environment and the society that's not a faith huh. the society of faith has always been you know abraham's was the household of, he was the house of god you know today we have a different organization in the world things have rather evolved we could say historically mm-hmm. and socially because social structures and economic structures and these things they do evolve you know social things do evolve evolution doesn't pertain to uh, creating species but it does pertain to the developments of society and so things have evolved into a rather different form and you see the wisdom of god in creating the church of God, instead of the household of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And he could have just said, okay, every household lived like the household of Abraham. Well, that, you can't, not today. You can't live like Abraham today. It's impossible. But the structure, can we say, or the invention, uh, the creation of the church, the local church, which is his body, has the can we say elasticity or the morphability to exist in any society and thrive? Any, any society anywhere in the world, in any time since the Lord Jesus died, you know, this 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 form that He created has the ability to morph into the rapidly developing, now rapidly developing or underdeveloped societies or whatever, and still operate, which mm. is you know, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. But Abraham's family was the household of faith. That's it. Now it's Isaac, his household of faith. Yeah, so not just Abraham's family, but actually through Isaac. Through right? only Isaac. So here we have these greater, uh, you know, Abrahamites 
who aren't Isaacites. No. Right? And I think that what you what you see with those guys, if you want to look prophetically forward speaking, and I still don't know if we're getting anything here. Nope, I'll get there. But forward forward looking, there. right, we can see that these become the blessed Gentiles through Israel, through Isaac. Isaac carries the faith. Isaac gets the word of God hmm. racially. He brings to pass the Savior. He creates, you know, he brings through his faith. He, develop, he brings that promise down through his generations to where the Savior can come and save these great Abrahamites who one day will appreciate Israel. A greater, when we, if we just say greater Abrahamites, now we know right, that Abrahamite is no longer defined racially, but is defined by faith. Yeah. And in, as we look future, sure, now uh, those of us who are neither Jew or Gentile, but are Christian, we were called Christians since Antioch, uh, now we're just brothers and believers in Jesus Christ, and we don't, you know, we can call ourselves whatever we want. They kind of bastardized the term Christian to cover people that aren't us. Mm. But uh, now we, through faith, we have Abraham as our father, and there's no other way for you to have Abraham as your father now. The Lord Jesus said, don't call Abraham your father to those who racially genetically were, were. Genetically were. Isaac. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord wasn't calling into question their, uh, you know, genes he was saying you know you're of your father the devil that's john 8 yeah so i think forward looking just kind of build on that forward looking these are the these represent right the abrahamically blessed outer circle which in the future dispensation right if we consider a dispensational change between what we have right now and when god once again takes up israel if you consider that a dispensational change, some do, some don't, I don't care. You can call it that, you can not call it that. I don't care if you call it Wheaties, you know. When Wheaties comes about, then God will take up Israel and the Gentiles will be blessed. You know, they'll go out, at least 144,000, maybe others, you know, a third of the nation uh, secreted in the desert, 144,000 dispersed throughout the world, bringing in a great, number of Gentiles who are blessed by the way they associate themselves yeah, with the Israel of God. And I think these guys kind of represent that. Cool. So, it, And they also get into the genealogy, right? Because when they need a wife, they go pop them out of here. Yeah. Right? I mean, they do get in in, in, in form. Like uh, when, uh, okay, they get in the line of Moses. That wasn't necessarily that blessed of a line, but they do get in the line of Moses. Yeah. Again, a line of Moses. Yeah, we see Jethro, the Midianite priest. Right. Yeah. We see the grandmother of Jonathan, Zipporah, right. who was a lot of trouble to Moses. So my question Not centers my around Keturah. My wife would never be trouble. <laughs> Not your wife. So my question centers around... That's why we're doing this broadcast, right? Because we're two guys that don't have those kind of problems. Mm, exactly. Exactly. So my question centers okay, so around what was your Keturah. Question? Keturah. And her relationship to Abraham. So... Here in Genesis 25, it says, you know... How uh, old do you suppose she is? I, I don't know. Probably. I mean, she's childbearing years. So a 140-year-old guy marries a 25-year-old girl? Well, she was no Sarah, right? She couldn't have been another Sarah. No, she wasn't another Sarah. No. Well, she could have been a Sarah in a sense. I'm talking about age and, and childbearing, I think. 
Well, she, I mean, she wasn't Sarah in the sense of bringing along the promised seed or being 90 years old miraculously, no. Yeah. But she was, pro- I mean. she might have been Sarah in that every guy that looked at her might want to grab her up. Yeah, maybe. Well, Abraham's a, you know, he's a wealthy guy. And if you look around the world, I mean, it, old guys that marry young women, they're rich. Right. And so I think this is, you know, now look at it reverse. Abraham's extremely wealthy guy. Even though he's given everything he had to Isaac, right? He's still a wealthy guy. Because why? Because he gave everything to Isaac because he could trust Isaac. So if Abraham needs a couple hundred thousand or whatever, what do, what do you think? Hey, Isaac, he probably just calls him on cell phone, you know, texts him, send me 200 grand. Isaac does the bank transfer because uh-huh. Isaac takes care of all his affairs. He's got, you know, maybe faithful steward. He's, you know, make sure Abraham gets what he wants. And, you know, pumps family money into Keturah and these boys. So he gives them gifts, but they don't get the enterprise. He gives them gifts, which no doubt's cash and capital for them to go forward and build their lives. But Keturah, I think, is a young woman. Mm-hmm. I think you got a picture here of, a, of an old, virile guy marrying a young woman and, you know, making sure that he gives them enough to take care of them because that's what an old guy has to look at, right? I mean, Abraham's only got about 30 years left here. So that might lead to a follow-up question about sure. Abraham and wealth. But my question with Keturah is here it calls her his wife. Yes. And then we have further down it uses the word concubines yeah. in verse 6. And then in another portion, First um, Chronicles chapter 1, it says, Now the sons of Keturah are Abraham's concubine. Right. So how do we look at those words? Yeah, concubine and wife. How do we look at concubinage? Should we just talk about concubinage itself? Yeah, I think a lot of my question is just like about concubinage, if that's what you call it. It's like, concubinage. And let me, let me say that there are those who look back here and see the blessing of Abraham and everything and who just go, see, polygamy mm-hmm. is fine. And they do. I mean, that that's, yep. in fact, it's growing in its uh, appeal and uh, people promoting it promoting polygamy in uh, totally contrary to the scriptures and uh, also promoting by the way it's uh, can we call it polygamy sister polyandry which you don't see any of in the bible what's polyandry polyandry is many husbands for a woman okay I mean, you don't see any of that and when you see concubines you see wealth that's what it is i mean it is about being able to afford more wives david had Wife, extra wife, and concubines. Now, I believe the Bible uses the word concubine here for Keturah. First of all, she is his wife. We see that. She is his wife. In other words, this is Abraham's only wife at this time. Abraham is not, at least openly here, we don't see Abraham as holding concubines. So people that try to use Abraham are, are failed. But even though she's called a concubine. Why? Because the wife held the inheritance. A wife held an inheritance and also a hold on her husband that a concubine did not. A concubine was reserved for that man, uh, but was did not enter into the family affairs. Uh, the only way she entered into family affairs of that man is if she had a child. And then she would have her own little family affairs of the man. And oftentimes, by the way, concubines, right, selected by the wife. Now, people don't, 
People in America may not understand that, but people overseas where this is practiced, in, mm -hmm. in, for example, in Africa. You scarcely find wealthy men in Africa that don't have more than one wife. Now you say, well, you know, rich men everywhere have affairs, which is true. Even poor guys have affairs. They can. They can afford them. Thing is, you know, you can buy them easier than you can just develop them. That's the way they work. Yeah. So I know a brother who'll tell you, and he's, he's, he's pretty much right. In fact, you know him very well. He'll tell you that, yeah, when a guy gets rich and stuff, you, there, here comes the adultery and the, and the affairs and stuff like that. Now... Let me say this about concubinage. Concubinage was not an affair or uh, adultery. Uh, not, not in Abraham's day, for sure, because adultery wasn't defined. Neither was it adultery to David, even though adultery was defined uh, by that time. Why though not to David? they were his wives. And they were his concubines, which is a wife without entrance into the family. So... So Keturah is called both because yeah. we the, the Bible doesn't want us to think that Keturah in any way supplants Sarah, see, which is the first thing you think about, right? Is she like Sarah? No. Mm -hmm. No. Sarah's the one through whom the promise seed came. Sarah's blessed, you know, uh, in, in God's sight above, you know, above women. And uh, Keturah's not. So it's almost like we could read this to say, Keturah is Abraham's wife, but she's not really important. Whereas Sarah is really important. And we'll revisit Sarah in Hebrews 11. And we'll revisit Sarah and as Peter teaches how well, women should be toward their husbands. We don't say, you know, like Keturah, you know, it's like Sarah. Right. So, so what um, about verse 6 where it has the sons of the concubines? Here we have, he's just named off six sons of Keturah. Mm -hmm. Now we have sons of concubines, plural. So, I mean, I would assume a Keturah is among that, since she's named elsewhere concubine. But are there others here that just aren't, there's other sons of Abraham that just aren't named? Abraham uh, had concubines. Yeah. Uh, or is it putting concubines in like a different... Pile I think I think I think he's telling us here that Abraham went and had concubines here after Keturah. Okay. I think that's pretty much the order of things, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised or shocked or anything like that. But they don't get inheritance; just gifts, gifts, yeah, cash. They don't get the enterprise. And all the inheritance goes to Isaac. He gets all the shares in the Abrahamic enterprise. These guys get some of the profits. Gotcha. Substantial wealth, though, this guy. You know? Yeah, so that, that comes to my follow-up question about Abraham. So uh, a lot of people... A good man leaves inheritance to his sons and his grandsons. Yeah, that's a, that's a proverb, right? Yep. That's what good men do. So here we have him doing that. A lot well, of people will say... We also learn here, by the way, I might just say it being a grandfather and... You know, maybe somebody's listening that, you know, is wondering, well, what should I do with the things that I've you know, made? And I just point out here that uh, Abraham looked very differently at the going concern, business lands, whatever, you know, his livestock, whatever his going concern was comprised. I mean, you could draw up a pretty good picture of what his growing concern was. And he had a lot of employees in his household. That went to Isaac. 
he did not divide up the little engine that could. And a lot of people do that. They divide up the little engine that can instead of giving cash out or whatever, and then they kill the little engine. Because there's no doubt, had Abraham brought these guys into the business, right, of Isaac, he'd have destroyed Isaac and the business. Mm. So just let me say that about the way you think about things going forward. But your question was different than that. Yeah, I think uh, let's just talk about Abraham, wealth, and us. Because yeah. a lot of people will make the logical leap, you know, Abraham is the father of the faithful, right? I believe the same way Abraham believed, right? I I have uh, I have salvation, eternal life given to me the same way he did by believing the word of God. And God blessed Abraham in his life with great riches. Therefore, yes. I should expect a little bit of the same. Well, now you just said a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think for sure you can expect a little bit of the same. God will actually, the same. Uh, yeah. I well, yes, you can. I mean, look, you you've you've heard me preaching for a decade almost, right? Yeah. And you've never heard me say, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God will give you money. No, you've never heard me say that. I have not. And you still haven't. But. Uh, Within that context, let me say that uh, the Christian life is not intended to be boring. And, uh, you know, uh, the Christian life is intended to be one of suffering, the way of the cross. Which means that uh, probably everything will be, well, everything can be just taken from you, including your life, at any moment. Because the world hates you, and all that's the entire environment you move in. Nevertheless, God tells you not to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, and that and what you're going to wear includes a roof over your head, right? Mm -hmm. And frankly, in my life, uh, God hasn't told me it doesn't include a roof over my head while I'm moving from place to place. So uh, God's always given me a reliable vehicle, which before I knew the Lord Jesus, I had unreliable vehicles. Now. I don't know, maybe I could write a book or go on a tour and say, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll have a decent vehicle yeah, or a cell phone. But uh, God gives you what you need. And sometimes God will give you way more than you need. He'll, actually, he gives you what you need. He actually always gives you more than you need. Why does he always give you more than you need? Well, because he commands you to give. Now, you can't give. You, know, you can give out of your poverty. But you can't truly give more than you need. Uh -huh. You can't, you know, It'd give. untenable. Yeah, you right. die. Yeah. Yeah, you die. Uh, the fact is you don't need what you think, so there's all that. Right. God will always give you what you need, which means he gives you extra. And then God, if he trusts you with money, will put money into your hands to use for his glory. Most people don't know how to do that. They don't know how to use money for his glory. The first thing they think is, I'll give it away to somebody else, which why? May, or may, not, uh, may or may not be the thing. Right. You may or may not. You know, the, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you've got a, a, a blessed, a blessable walk, which is easy enough to do. You just go look at the, the first proverb. Find out what the blessed man is. I mean, most people don't even know what the blessed man is. Well, Abraham is the blessed man, but... The, the blessed man, what what he does and he doesn't, right? Do you know what he does and he doesn't do? Um, is that, are you talking about Psalm 1? When yeah, says, or Psalm 1, excuse he, me, yes. Uh, I say proverb, Psalm yeah. 1. Mm -hmm. I know he 
Now, if you don't have this down... He meditates down, in the Word of God. Day he does that. I know that one. Trying, well, that'll get to, you. I'm trying to recall. So he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful? I don't recall yeah, the exact He doesn't things. do that either. What else are there? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, that is actually the first thing that's said because it's the first thing people do when they have what they consider important decisions is they run to the ungodly yeah. and say, How, what should I do? So go to their lawyer. Or buy a book. Or they buy a book by some ungodly guy. Or they uh, go get a, a counselor. The worst thing they can do, probably a counselor. Or maybe they go to their ungodly pastor. That I, I don't think that happens much, but the counsel of the ungodly is widely available and it's for sale. The counsel of the godly is hard to get because you read elsewhere that the counsel of a man, you have to draw it out. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a person that you know that's a godly person, knows the scripture, you know, it's lived that kind of life, and you want to talk to him about the house you want to build, well, maybe he's never built a house in his life and he doesn't know anything first thing about building houses. And you think, well, but he's the guy I should talk to because he's a godly guy. How do I draw how do I draw that counsel out of him? So the first thing you do is you walk in the counsel of God. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know. And then in the multitude of counselors there's safety and you draw that out. There's other instruction how to go get advice from the godly. But the main thing is don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's just a don't. That's why I homeschooled my children. It's because I could no longer trust the people in the school not to be ungodly advising my children. I didn't, try, I didn't trust them. And I talked to them personally and then didn't trust them even more. And actually found out that at the particular local grade school that my kids were uh, uh, just down the street that they, that they were supposed to attend, that there was a very wicked person in there that hated every Christian that she, and was very influential high up in school. So anyway, uh, that being said, uh, you don't walk in the counsel of godly, right? Yeah. What else don't you do? Stand in the way of sinners. And you don't stand in the way of sinners. You don't hang with them. You know, you don't hang in their way. Does that mean get out of their way? Get out of their way. Every Christian that has a blessed life gets out of the way of the people he used to hang with. I mean, they leave him because he's going a different way. And so they'll say, come with us, and, and, and you won't. And they go, what happens to you? What happened to you, Jared? You used to be so much fun. Yeah, well, I'm still fun. No, now you're a boring guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't live the life of dissipation with you that I used to? Yes. Well, although they won't even say yes. They go, no, that's not it. Well, what is it? It's that you're no longer in that way. What's, yeah. So what's it mean to sit in the seat of the scornful? Well, see, that's a di- there's a whole digression here, isn't there? There's The first thing is don't do as they advise. Don't take their advice. Second yeah. thing is you're hanging with them. Don't hang with them. It's worse. It's one thing to get their advice and then leave them. It's another thing to live their life out, start hanging with them, right? This is a digression. If you listen to the counsel of the ungodly, you're going to, the next thing you know, you're going to be standing in the way of sinners. And if you stand in the way of sinners, next thing you know, what are you going to be doing? Is that take, sit in the seat? Is yeah. that to take a position? You're with them, mocking the, mocking the saved. That's what that is. Hmm. Now antagonistic to your brethren. Huh. Are you saying you don't know Christians that are antagonistic to you? 
Well, I do. I have in my throughout my experience known a great many of Christians who become antagonists. And then you know what you know antagonize, anti. You know, and then they're against you, and then you get what you get agonizing agony, agony, real agony, which is the cup that the Lord drank. Right. You know, that's the inner sufferings of the Christian life. But. On the other hand, is the light is in but, the law of the Lord. Yes. Now we talk about the blessed life. Okay, so that's yeah. you know that's the one to avoid. That's the bad way. That's the bad way. Yeah. Now, what's the life of blessing? Well, one thing we know, for example, is children are a blessing from the Lord. I mean, if you're a married guy, you should be about children. Have them. You know, have them. You know, bring your wife along in a way that uh, she'll she'll bear them for you. You know, and go along with all that. You know, we're talking about wealth. Yeah. And we're talking about income and stuff like that. This is a guy who God can now begin to entrust his things to, which is, includes simple things like money. You know, money is God's main testing thing. That's one of his. He, he loves to use, you know, money as a test because it, it can come after us in so many different ways. Yeah. It can come after us in many different ways. I mean... You, you, uh, money seems like a small thing to him and a big thing to us. Yeah, it is. Of course, it's a small thing to him. Everything's a small thing to God. Sure. Right? All right. But, uh, when you begin to delight in the scriptures, see now, and the scriptures now direct you because it says he, he feeds in the scriptures in such a way that night and day, both at night and in the daytime, he can meditate. Now, that represents that he's always in meditation. People think that meditation is this, you know, sit with your your legs, sit in a lotus position and say om or whatever. Yeah. Stupid stuff. Think about nothing. Think about nothing. Where demons can now come in and tell you what to do. Of course, you can't meditate on nothing. That's the problem. Meditate, the word meditate, is the word what? Chew the cud. Mm -hmm. It is the ruminate. We even use it in the English language. I love the English language, how flexible it is. But if I told you, well, let me ruminate on that a while and I'll come back to you, you know exactly what I mean. Meditate takes a, a religious tone to it, but if we use the yeah. word ruminate, and then if we think about, well, what is ruminance, right? Ruminance is the regurgitated feed, uh, initial feed, that a clean animal produces. produces. Yeah. Yeah. So clean animals meditate they bring up their ruminants from one stomach and chew then they ruminate they chew the cud and then they digest it further into another more useful stomach where it's employed now as energy for the for the animal and uh, you're that way so that uh, except for energy we're talking about faith right so yeah you graze in the scripture and hey Maybe maybe you're too tired, maybe it's too difficult for you, maybe you're not interested enough to graze and eat some grass, solid food. Then, as I tell my young kids in my class, go get some milk, you know? Yeah. Go listen to two some guys milk. BSing about the Bible. Yeah. Go listen to, you know, some preaching. We have, we have a lot of preaching on BibleStudy.net, and it's accessible. I tell them, just go listen. And let that milk feed your interest enough to where you want to do some grazing or you feel like ah yeah now that you know i just heard that guy go through you know 13th chapter of matthew i think i'm gonna go through it myself and read it and see if i see that stuff there 
And when you look, you go, well, I didn't see all that, but I'm seeing what he's saying there. It does make a lot of sense. It is starting to come in. And you begin to build the facility of meditation in your life because you're thinking about it. You read it, and then you're thinking about it. And the thing about thinking about the scripture is I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your job is. You, you can think about the scriptures and do your work, no matter. And the scriptures then will guide you, even in your work. People don't understand that the scriptures can guide you in the most minute ways. Hmm. And you begin to judge yourself because the scriptures are in you. You begin to judge yourself and judge yourself. You judge yourself in your work. Christians make good employees as a rule because this process is going on inside them if they're in the scriptures. They make as bad employees. They're no worse than anybody else when they don't, but they have the potential to actually be more, uh, bring more character to play. Uh, I've had the privilege, for example, in my life of working with brethren only all day. And you don't hardly, you just take for granted what a tremendous blessing it is until maybe that gets threatened that, you know, it goes away or it breaks apart or something like that. But it's a, it's a marvelous thing that, that develops. And you see it in the lives of believers developing the scripture where they end up working together, having, you know, more blessed life because of the influences they have on each other. And so in verse three there, it says he'll be like a tree literally transplanted by the rivers of water. That word is transplant, that plant word. And that means that the tree was taken from one nourishment to a better one. To, a, to the best one. Mm. To the best one. To the place where a tree grows best. And brings forth his fruit in his season. Now, your fruit is in the word of God, but your fruit is in your children. Once you start having children, God promises them the same he promises you in terms of food and shelter. So you grow up a family, you're going to grow up your income. Got to. God promises it. And uh, uh, doesn't mean you, you have more than you need, uh, more than you think you need. You do have more than you need, but you don't yeah. have more than you think you need. And it can be, by the way, that you don't have more and you want more because you're lustful and God isn't going to ruin you that way. I have had a life where I've made a lot of money and I've made nothing. And I don't like either one of those conditions. I, when I have nothing, I get, like David says, you know, I, I become despairing. When I have too much, more than I can employ or whatever, or more than I should stack up, then I find it affects my life. Like I'm freer to buy stuff. I'll just start buying things, you know. I'll look, I'll spend my time buying things. Mm-hmm. Looking at things, thinking about things, and not, you know, losing, and then losing track maybe of of uh, matters of importance. Yeah. But they all, they both bring, as the book of Matthew 13, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, that can hit poor and rich both. Those, those things are the tests that God likes best. So, He's going to test you on all those fronts, and that means, you know, you if you're flat broke right now, you can look forward to one day having too much money and that wrecking your character just like this flat broke is doing. Only indifferent. You become arrogant instead of despairing. God forbid that should happen to, you know, maybe somebody happens to listen to this that's broke right now and wants, you know, and is in despair. God forbid it'll happen and instead he gets too much and, and becomes an arrogant rich man and his character is destroyed. That's why David said, don't make me rich, don't make me poor. He knew both, 
and he realized one was bad for me and the other one was bad for me. Just give me that which is appropriate or convenient as the English word. That's the way God will deal with you. So yeah, you can expect to be tested on the bottom and top side of money. And if that excites you to get tested with, you know, more money, then, you know, God protect you from you. <laughs> God protect you from you. No doubt. So yeah, there's a little bit of a, like, well, you want to make that a gospel of wealth? There you go. If that's what you want. Personally, Derek, I felt that if a brother or sister didn't didn't have the faith, maybe for their income, whatever, I'd hire them. I'd sit down with them and ask them what they thought they should make, and I'd hire them, knowing that God will provide for that person. So I would always just hire and say, "I, I know God will provide," so I'm not worried about hiring that person. Mm. But uh, some people that you know, you have to live inside the bounds of your faith, and some people uh, maybe can't live the wild vicissitudes of economic life where they, you know, go actually negative income. There is such a thing as actually spending money every every month on other people's living instead of your own, and, and you're just losing, you know? Maybe you've built up a little pile, and all of a sudden that starts running out on you. Uh, that's, a that's a rich experience of dependence on the Lord when that happens. It's a rich experience of dependence on the Lord. If money starts pouring in, you don't know what to do with it, and you're before God about what's the deal. Uh, that's a that's an experience, and I think God wants you to have all those experiences. So if you're ready to live the life of faith, you can you can start expecting mm -hmm. you know more money than you need and less money than you need, and see how your faith is on both those fronts, because God loves the money fronts, yeah. I used to know a pretty good preacher. He he uh, he was a free grace guy. He he kind of hesitated and got lost in the book of Hebrews. But uh, nice fella, and he used to say, you know, we want to talk about money matters because money matters. Yeah. Point out that the Lord Jesus talked a whole lot more about money than he did heaven, which is true. Hmm. He talked Not a lot. He talked more about hell than heaven too, uh, and. Uh, you know, that the Lord used money and the lessons around it to teach, and he uses it to test. And he's not finding anything. When he tests you, he's not finding out how you're doing. He knows how you're doing. You're finding out how you're doing. Right. So, I don't know if that really answers the, the money question, but God's never going to let you off the money test. That's the that's one of the tests. It's always every day in front of everybody, right? Yeah. Abraham had his hands full, did he not? Abraham had his hands full, and 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 he had his hands too full. Yeah. When he went down into Egypt, he came back with his hands too full. Abraham came out with great riches. So did Lot, and that divided them. Yep. So 